Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Good morning, Harbor at home or wherever you're watching from. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. And uh, man, I'm thrilled that you're with us, checking us out. You might be listening to this on a podcast. You might be watching this um, you know, and some free time at work, or I know we got people watching all over the world. So thanks for checking us out. It is Palm Sunday, which is, man, that is uh, an awesome thing to remember and celebrate. I know a lot of people don't know what Palm Sunday is all about, but I thought we could take a minute today and just kind of uh, remember the reason that we call it Palm Sunday. It's not just the Sunday before Easter. It actually got its name because of a unique event that happened in the Bible. And if you're not familiar with it, I'll read to you from Matthew chapter 21. That's where our main context is going to be uh, today. Matthew chapter 21, in verse number 8, it tells the story of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, coming into town for the Passover, which would have been a huge gathering of people. But this is his triumphant entry. This is people have been hearing about this prophet, this guy named Jesus, who's doing all these crazy miracles. He's bringing people back from the dead. He's making blind people see and lame people walk. And I mean, people are going nuts for this guy. And then it's it said, hey, he's actually coming into town today. And when people see him show up, this is what happens. In verse number eight of Matthew chapter 21, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Jesus is riding on a donkey coming into town uh, and uh, people are taking off their jackets and they're throwing them on the street. It was a way of showing respect, reverence. You know, you're covering up puddles or covering over, you know, camel poop or whatever, just putting them on the dirt so that, you know, on the road so that, you know, he's not walking. It's just a way of showing respect. Kind of how we would say rolling out the red carpet. Well, taking off your jacket and throwing it down. But some people don't have jackets. And it says others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. So if you didn't have a jacket to take off, you they were ripping off palm branches. And that's why we call it Palm Sunday. So they're ripping the branches off of palm trees and throwing the branches down just as a way of, of celebrating Jesus coming into town. It says this in verse number nine, Jesus was in the center of the procession. So his disciples are walking with them. They're all coming in. It's kind of a big parade and uh, people are all around him and they're shouting. They're literally shouting and singing, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven, or what we say, Hosanna. They're singing and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise God. God's praise and blessings on the one who, who comes from God. This is a, a really unique time um, in the story of Jesus, and it's the reason we call it Palm Sunday. It goes on to say in the next verse 10, uh, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, some of the guys asked. This is mostly some of the, the spiritual leaders there, the religious leaders. Um, and the crowds replied, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. People have been hearing about this prophet from Nazareth and uh, they were excited for him to come to town. So that's the origins of Palm Sunday. That's why uh, we do that. But here's what I wanted to focus on. I wanted to focus on the fact that these are the same people, these people on Sunday screaming, Glory to God, Jesus, we love you. They're, they're singing, they're ripping off their coats and throwing them on the ground. They're ripping off palm branches and throwing them on the ground. They're so excited to have Jesus in town and they love Jesus. They love them some Jesus. And just a couple days later, this is the same group of people saying, crucify him, crucify him. Because a week from this day, one week from Palm Sunday, 
we celebrate Jesus raising from the dead. So how, for, how in one week do we go from people taking their clothes off and letting them be trampled by a, a colt so Jesus can walk right into town? How can we get from that heart of we love Jesus, we love Jesus, to a heart of crucify him. We hate this guy. We want him to die a horrible death. Man, that's quite a flip-flop. That's quite a, a turnaround, if you will. Um, and, you know, people are prone to change their minds. I mean, I remember a lot of people really liked Johnny Damon for a while when we won. And then uh, he went and played for the Yankees, and uh, Sox fans were less than thrilled about the guy. Although they haven't seemed to do that with Tom Brady, who changed teams. But, I mean, we don't flip-flop a lot, and when something flip-flops or changes that, that dramatically, we have to go, wow, that seems pretty fickle. That seems to be uh, an extreme thing. How can you go from loving somebody to hating somebody? Remind you of junior high romances? The kids that like couldn't get enough of each other, sat together on the bus, were madly in love one week. By the next week in the cafeteria, their friends had divided to other ends and everybody hated everybody because that was just how it worked. You could go from two extremes so quickly. Here's what I'm, I'm getting at. Here's my point. That seems to be true of a lot of us, not just these guys in the Bible a couple thousand years ago, but it seems to be true of people today. They love Jesus one day, and then they're not, such, they're not big fans the next. How is it that we go from being close to God, loving God, worshiping God, praying to God one day, and then what seems like overnight, we're done. We are fickle in our faith. How are we... So flip-floppy, how is it that we, we do that? Why is, our, why is our faith so fickle? I keep saying fickle, it's like, reminds me of your Finkel. Ray Finkel, remember that? Ace Ventura, anybody? Anybody out there, type in the comments. Hey, I'm looking for Ray Finkel. And then the shotgun comes out in a clean pair of shorts. You know, it's, anyways, if you haven't seen the movie, you wouldn't know. Let's move on to what's actually important. Um, these guys changed their mind about Jesus quickly and I, I thought it'd be worth us taking a look to see why is it that we abandon Jesus? Why do we let go of our walk with God? Why do we go from following and praying and reading to ignoring or even being uh, mad or obstinate against God? Well, the next verse, after Jesus gets into town, it says in verse number 12, Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out all of the people that were buying and selling animals for sacrifice. So Jesus shows up in town, they throw him a parade, and the first thing he does is he goes to the temple and then he starts driving out moneymakers. Um, guys that were setting up tables in the temple, it says he knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. So these guys set up tables in the temple and they were charging money for people to buy sacrifices. And they would cheat people. They would charge extra. They would go above and beyond because people couldn't, uh, some people didn't have the animals, didn't have a sheep, didn't have dove, doves, didn't have the, the animals to sacrifice. So they would get there and then they would just jack the price up because it wasn't about helping people worship. They were there to make a buck. And um, Jesus, Jesus literally drives them out. And it says in verse 13, he says to them, the, the scriptures declare, my temple will be kept called a house of prayer but you've turned it into a den of thieves, speaking to their heart. So obviously not everybody was, was thrilled with that, but it goes on in verse 14. I'll read the whole passage and we'll come back in a second. In verse 14, it says, 
the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law, so a lot of these are Pharisees, Sadducees, some scribes, scholars, stuff like that. These guys, uh, they saw the wonderful miracles and they even heard the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. Praise God for the son of David. This is a high praise. David was the most revered king in all of, all of Jewish history and they're, they're they're emphasizing the fact that Jesus came from Jesus from David's line. They're kind of giving him a royalty uh, treatment, if you will. And the leaders, the leaders were indignant. They didn't like hearing that. They didn't like hearing Jesus get that praise. So they go to Jesus and they say, "Hey, do you hear what these kids are saying?" They wanted Jesus to rebuke the children for giving him such high praise. And Jesus says, "Yeah." Haven't you ever read the scriptures? Which, if you guys don't understand, this is such a slam. These guys, when they were little boys, memorized the Pentateuch. They memorized the Bible. You and I struggle to learn a couple verses. They memorized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses. They hadn't just read the Bible. They, they knew it inside and out. So Jesus goes, yeah, haven't you read the Bible? Which I'm sure just, oh, it just crawled all over him. He goes, yeah, haven't, haven't you read the Bible? Uh, the Bible say you've taught children and infants to give you praise. So God goes like, yeah, these kids, are, of course, are going to praise me. This is, this is who I am. I am the son of David. I'm the son of God. Um, it's, just, it's just a really cool moment. But as you know, these guys later go and incite a mob, rally a group of people around to kill Jesus, to have him crucified on a cross. They get the Romans, who are their um, taskmasters, for lack of a better term. They're enslaved. They're indentured servants to the Roman Empire. The Roman, Romans had conquered most of the known world, including, including the Jewish world. And so they, they had to serve under the Romans. And so they get the Romans to crucify Jesus in their way. The, the Jews would have stoned him. But the Romans, they, they, like, they take joy in punishment, so they invented a thing called crucifixion, and it was a scary way of executing prisoners. And so the, the Jewish leaders, the one we're reading about right now, they get the mob to chant for Jesus' crucifixion. How? How do they get a group of people throwing Jesus a parade in just a couple of days to turn around and turn their backs on him completely? Well, I think we can look at the same thing in our own lives and say, what is it that causes us to have such a fickle faith? Well, first off, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four things that I've noticed that's true of myself, that's probably true of you, that I hope might be an encouragement if you're willing to recognize it. First off, I think this, we're often offended by what Jesus does. We're offended by what Jesus does. You see, in verse 13, he comes in and he flips over tables. He says to him, you guys have are ruining the temple. You guys are messing up a house of prayer. You are a den of thieves. You've desecrated something that's supposed to be holy. See, we don't, we don't like what Jesus does. See, Jesus exposes our greed. He exposes our selfishness. He, he shines a light on the misuse we have of our time and our talents, the abuse we have of our power and our position. We just don't like that. We don't like that Jesus is always pure and holy and righteous. And if we're doing something that is shady or we can disguise it as, oh, I'm trying to help people. These guys were like, oh, I'm trying to help people make sacrifices. No, you were making a buck by cheating people who were in a tough situation. He exposes what's really in their heart. See, this is the thing about, about Jesus. He's called the light. In John chapter 1, it says, 
He's the word and the word brings truth and the truth is like a light that shines. In John chapter one, verse five, it says the light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And But this is the problem. Our sins are kind of like the cockroaches. When the light comes on, you just see them and we're trying to scatter them and hide them, but you just can't hide your sin in front of Jesus. And that's why a lot of us don't really like God sometimes. We don't like Jesus and, and what it is he represents sometimes because it's a light that shines on our sin. Ephesians chapter 5, 13, verses 13 and 14 say this, their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. Verse 14 says, the light makes everything visible. See, that's, that's, what, that's why we run away from Jesus sometimes. We like the idea of a party, but then Jesus, that pure light, that truth, when it shines on my heart, when it shines deep into what I'm doing, it kind of exposes that maybe I'm not as good as I say I am. Maybe what I'm doing isn't as good as I say it is. And that's what you got to answer. And that might be, like for some of them, why they're mad at Jesus. They're offended by what Jesus does. But it's not just that they're offended by Jesus and what he does. They're also offended, and we get offended, by what Jesus doesn't do. So we're mad at him for doing some things, and then we're mad at him for not doing others. You see, the Romans were in control of the Jewish territories, were taxing them, enslaving them. And so the Jews had just become accustomed to serving the Romans. And now here's this Jesus guy. He can feed thousands of people with just a loaf of bread. Think what he could do for an army of troops. He can take crippled people and make them walk, blind people and make them see. You know what he could do for a battle injury? He could keep his soldiers fresh. Not only that, he calls dead people back to life. Lazarus comes out of the grave, a little girl that was dead, he brings back life. This guy has power over death, and surely this is the guy we want to come in and whoop up on the Romans. These guys are excited. The Jews here are excited that Jesus is going to be the answer to the Roman problem. But see, we get mad at Jesus, and I know this is true for me, so help me out here. Type something in the comments so I know I'm not just talking to myself, all right? Sometimes we get mad that Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do. We get mad at the things he does do, like shine a light on our sin. But then we also get mad at the things he doesn't do, like fix every single problem. See, we want Jesus to be a, a magic genie. We want Jesus to be our servant. Do what I want when I want it done. See, they wanted the Romans beaten back. You and I, we want all of our problems solved. We want more money. We want better health. We want somebody we love to, to stick around longer. We want all the miracles for us, but we want them our way. We, we ultimately, we want to be God. This is what Matthew 10, 34 says. Jesus talking here, he goes, hey, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. He tells him, you're wanting this, this restful time. I'm actually, my presence here is going to cause a big uproar. Jesus came and he changed the planet, but People that followed after Jesus didn't have it easier. They had it hard here on earth. I mean, all of his disciples get martyred. They die gruesome deaths because they followed after him. If you're following Jesus so you could have it easy and cushy, no. He, he literally says, like, it's going to get tough. In Psalms chapter 37, verse number four, it gives us a different idea, a different way of looking at it. It says, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But see, if you want the desires of your heart, you have to first start by chasing after God's heart. See, when I want the Romans gone, when I want a Ferrari instead of the Ford, 
that I've got when I want my grandma to come back, when I want all of my problems fixed, when I want to be three inches taller or whatever. We have all these wants and God says, listen, I'm going to take care of your needs. That doesn't mean that you're going to get all of your wants. But if you'll make your heart after my heart is what God's saying, then you're going to find that you get everything you want. See, when I start thinking, God, what do you want right now? What do you want for my neighbor? What do you want for my workplace? What do you want for me to do today? When I start thinking about what God's desire is, then I start wanting the same thing he wants. And then I get that every time. That may not be a winning lottery ticket. It may not be uh, every problem I have solved. But what God wants is he wants to draw people to salvation. He wants to draw people to, to him, to know that he loves them. And if I want that too, if that's where my heart changes, now all of a sudden I'm not as greedy and as selfish. And I begin to see things the way he wants it. Romans chapter 12, verse number 12 says this, Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. See, I think that's the problem. We're just not patient. We're in trouble. Some of y'all, you're in trouble a lot and you ain't patient at all. You are so quick to be mad at God. It's just patience. Well, pastor, you're saying that I've been patient for years. If you have to be patient your entire life and God lets you live to be 100 years old and you had to be patient for 100 years, oh my goodness, you know how much that is in comparison to eternity? Nothing. You're saying, hey, so what? Maybe life is tough. And by the way, none of you have been patient for 100 years. Some of you are like, no, it's me. Bull crap. You're not patient for two days. If you don't get what you want right away, you're done. He says, just be patient in this. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Our troubles don't last forever. So don't get so bogged down in the things that you want taken care of right now. Maybe you're rejecting Jesus because he just doesn't work on your timeline. So we're offended by what Jesus does. We're offended by what Jesus doesn't do. But it's not just that. We also get offended by the things Jesus says because the rest of the story, Jesus begins to interact with these religious leaders who are trying to find a way to trip him up. They're trying to find a way to make him look bad. So they keep talking to him. And finally, Jesus goes, hey, listen, John the Baptist, this is in Matthew 21, verse number 32. John the Baptist came and he showed you guys the right way to live. But you, talking to the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees there, he says, you didn't believe him. The tax collectors, who were considered scoundrels, bad guys, this is the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they did. They believed John the Baptist. And even when you saw that this was happening, that that the lowest of low in the society around you were repenting, they were doing the right thing. You, you refused to believe him, and you refused to repent of your sins. Now listen to another story. So Jesus hits him with the truth. Boom. And then he goes, now let me tell you a story. Jesus had a a great way of hitting us with some hard truths in a story form. He says, here's the story. There's a landowner. This guy owns a bunch of land. He plants a vineyard. That would have been pretty well known. We understand it even today. He says he builds a wall around. He digs a pit for pressing out the grape juice. He he does a lot of investment to create a place that can have a great return is what Jesus is setting up here. He does this. He has a press for the grape juice. He builds a lookout tower. And then he leases the vineyard to tenant farmers and he moves away to another country. So he makes an investment, he sets it up, and then he rents it out. He leases it out. We understand all that. That works today in the same way. 
goes, and at the time of the grape harvest, when he should have been getting paid, these guys are now making money off of his land. It says, at the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants. They beat one. They killed one. They stoned another. These guys are not looking to pay their bill. So, so the landowner sent a large group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. And finally, the owner said, the owner sent his son, sends his own son, and he goes, hey, surely they're going to respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw the son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. This is, this is a crazy story that Jesus is telling this to the very men who are going to incite a mob to kill him. Jesus is telling them, like, listen, in this hypothetical story, there's a group of people who don't want to own up to their responsibility to their master, so they kill the heir. Now, the cool thing about what Jesus does is Jesus says that when we invite him into our lives, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we become co-heirs with him. He is the heir. He is the Son of God. And yet we can have a piece of that if we accept him in. But the other option of accepting him, surrendering our lives, letting Jesus be our Lord and Savior, which I know somebody right now listening to this needs to make that decision, to invite Jesus in for the very first time, to move out of the driver's seat and say, God, you call the shots. That's what you need. And you have that choice or you have the choice to kill him, to crucify him, to reject him. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. And he goes, hey, guys, listen, when the owner of the vineyard returns in verse 40, Jesus asked, what do you think he's going to do to those farmers? Well, the religious guys, they reply, he's going he's gonna to put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him the share of the crop for after each harvest. They're like, well, a good, a good master will make bad people pay for bad deeds. See, here's the thing. We don't like God sometimes because we don't like the idea that he would let people go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's just the consequences of sin. See, even the bad guys in this story recognize that a good master would punish bad tenants. The master keeps being gracious and giving them time and time again to do what's right, but they just keep rejecting one messenger after another up to the point that they kill the master's son. And even the bad guys that Jesus is talking to kind of condemn themselves. They're like, yeah, the master is going to expect payment. He's going to put those guys to death and get somebody who will serve him. Jesus says, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? Once again, just an awesome kind of slam. Hey, you claim to be so spiritual and so righteous and so religious and so profound. Didn't you ever read the Bible? Jesus goes, didn't you see this? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Once again, referring to Jesus himself. They didn't want him, but he's actually the foundation of our faith. Everything we have is built around Jesus. So he uses a building term here to help them understand. And he says, guys, listen. Uh, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. See, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce proper fruit. 
anyone who stumbles on that stone will be broken to pieces and, and will, it will crush anyone who falls on it. And when the leading priests, verse 45, when the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they, re, they realized that he was telling the story against them and that, that they were the wicked farmers. It goes on, it gives you a little bit more. It says that they wanted to arrest him. They wanted to do it right there. They were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So this is where they're like, we gotta, we gotta start undermining Jesus to get the crowd on our side. And so they go about doing what we've been talking about, bringing up the things they don't like about Jesus. See, we don't, we're, we're offended by what Jesus does and we're offended by what Jesus doesn't do, but we're also offended by what Jesus says. See, he, there in this story, he says, you guys are wicked. You guys, you don't read, you don't understand. He kind of slams them that they're not as good as they say they are. He, Jesus literally tells them, you're not as perfect as you think you are. You're not as righteous and as holy as you like to portray yourself. So they don't like that. But then he goes, and you're not producing the proper fruit. You're not doing good enough. You're not actually serving God. Although you say you are, you're not. And Jesus says this and man, it cuts. I share with you guys a story of when I was younger. I walked away from God a little bit, not in a rebellious, hateful way, but I just got sucked into the world, into the business world and making money. And man, I got so wrapped up in what I could buy, when I could purchase and how, how much I could grow a company. And um, success came very easy at that time. And it just, I was very blessed. But I began to look at those blessings as what I needed for my life. And it was something that God had been gracious to give me, but I worshiped it. And one of my friends, who's now a pastor out in Idaho, his name's Scott, he came and he sat down with me and I was so happy to show him all the things that I had accomplished. And in a very direct but kind way, he said, "This is your accomplishments aren't what God's called you to do. This isn't, this isn't honoring God the way you like to tell yourself it's honoring God. It was that conversation that changed my life because it was from that moment on, the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart and I couldn't let go of the fact that I wasn't saying yes to God. And it wasn't shortly thereafter that I took a job that moved me out to Massachusetts to become a youth pastor and work with teenagers. But I don't know that I'd ever gotten there if I hadn't just had that wake up call and I had to hear something I didn't want to hear. I had to I had to hear that I wasn't doing as good as I thought I was. And Jesus is calling these guys out on that. And maybe today you feel a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You feel a little bit of God knocking on your, your heart going, you're not as good as you think you are. You might be fooling some people. Other people might buy your, your facade, but you're not really who, who you say you are. You're not really as good as you think you are. See, John 15, verse 5 and 6, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. And anyone who doesn't remain in me will be thrown away like a useless branch and withers. And some branches, they, they're gathered into a pile to be burned. There's, there is useless branches. And the ones who don't stay in Jesus don't produce fruit. And so Jesus is telling this group of people, you're not producing the right kind of fruit. And so by comparison, you got to look earlier in the same book, he says, I'm the way that you produce good fruit. What Jesus is telling us is that if we walk with him and he walks with us, if we stay close to him, if we invite him into our life and make him the center of our universe instead of ourselves, that's going to be how we produce fruit. 
The byproduct is if I'm not producing what I'm supposed to be producing, it's not because Jesus has failed me. It's because I'm not close to Jesus like I'm supposed to be. Something has gotten in the way. See, Jesus in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Jesus declares himself the only way to get to God. And that's why every other religion hates Jesus. Buddha is not a way to God. Allah is not a way to God. Your own brain power isn't a way to God. Crossing your fingers and putting up lucky charms and special rocks and all of it. None of that gets you to God. The only way you can get to God is Jesus. The only way. Not Jesus plus a couple of things. Not Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus having a bunch of prayers. Jesus plus helping old ladies across the street. Jesus plus name anything. That's not salvation. It's just Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, not in yourself and not in anything else. We don't want to hear that. And that's what Jesus' message was. And a lot of times we, we get mad. Our faith is fickle because we don't like what Jesus says. We don't like what he does. We don't like what he doesn't do. We just talked about we don't like what he says. Lastly, we don't like what he doesn't say. See, what he doesn't say <coughs> in the life of Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, you're okay just as you are. Now, Jesus accepted everybody just as they were. He loved everybody, accepted them, the lepers that nobody would touch, the prostitutes that everybody wanted to stone to death, the, the tax collectors that everybody hated and gossiped about. Jesus accepted every single person, no matter how dirty, how broken, how big of a dumpster fire their life was, Jesus accepted them. But he loved them too much to leave them there. And that's the, that's the difference. See, we want Jesus to tell us that our sin is okay. And Jesus never will tell us that our sin is okay. He does tell us that he can beat our sin. That no matter how broken or how screwed up or how dirty your sin is or how long ago it was or how impactful it was, Jesus does tell us he'll forgive us of that sin. But he never condones sin. He never says sin is okay. Even when he'd hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes, he never told him it was okay to live in that sin. And that's what we want. We want Jesus to tell us, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, you're pretty good. See, we're offended by the fact that he won't tell us that we're okay staying where we're at. He's called us to something better and he won't let us get comfortable being less than what he's called us to. And that makes us mad sometimes. See, in John chapter 8, verse number 10, Jesus stood up to a woman stood up again. This is this is a story where Jesus kneels down in the ground. And he's writing on the ground because they have a woman in a stoning circle and they're getting ready to stone her to death for adultery. And she did commit adultery. Um, and Jesus says, fine, you can stone her to death, but let the person who has never committed a sin, whoever's blameless throws the first stone and nobody ends up throwing a stone. So when Jesus stands up, he, he says, uh, hey, um, where are all your accusers? Didn't even one person stay, stay around to condemn you? And she looks at Jesus, she says, no, Lord. And then Jesus says, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, we wish when it's us, when we're the person caught in adultery, when we're the person that is, is, is needing help, we want God to tell us, oh, I don't condemn you. And he doesn't. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came in to save the world. So we, we like that we don't get condemnation, but what we want, we want him to condone it. We're glad he doesn't condemn it, but we do want him to condone it. And he won't do that. He's not condemning, but he's not okay with this sin either because he tells her, 
I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. So he shows her grace, but then he hits her with truth. And see, a lot of the reasons that we are fickle in our faith is we don't want to hear the truth. And the truth is that a lot of times we're lazy or we're stubborn or we're hateful or we're greedy. And when the Bible shines that light on us and that is exposed, we get pretty mad that God isn't going, it's okay. You, you, can, you can have that attitude problem. You grew up in a rough childhood. You had a, a rough family. Uh, it's okay you have that anger issue. You, 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 have, you have a background that, that that's just part of your, your lifestyle. No, it's okay that you're sleeping around. You're just trying to get comfortable finding love and you need to experiment. He doesn't give us excuses for our sin. He says, no, that's wrong. And, and then this leaves it. We, we don't get to have this, I want God to be okay with my sin because he's not because he knows that's not what's best for you. Take the part of Jesus that says, man, I love you right here where you're at. I accept you as broken as you are. But then lean into the part that you don't like where he says, I love you too much to leave you in this sin. I'm going to pull you out of the dumpster fire. I like a God who reaches in to clean me off, but I need a God who pulls me out so that I don't just keep wallowing in that. And I think that's where we struggle with Jesus. See, I, I remember being at a party um, let's just say when I was younger, a lot, lot, lot younger. And uh, man, we were, we were getting stupid and, and going nuts. And one of my friends was like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta take this party down, down the stairs. Like we gotta go down to the next level. And, and the, so I was like, yeah, yeah, you, I bet you could jump from where we're at down to that level. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I bet I could. And I was looking around and I wanted them. They're like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. So I jumped and then broke my ankle. And, uh, in the moment, what I wanted, I thought, was encouragement. Yeah, tell me to do it. What I needed was a friend to tell me, that's a dumb thing, Josh. Don't do that. What I had was people like, yeah, your pain is our entertainment. You know, I think about these shows where people get paid money to do stupid stuff. I was doing it for free. And I just, I remember thinking of that story of where I just, I wanted people to encourage me to do something dumb. What I needed was somebody that loved me enough to tell me that it wasn't a good idea. And it made me think about this when it comes to God. And this is a little side note for some of you. God sometimes withholds his permission. That's not a punishment. God withholding his permission is not a punishment. It's, it's his protection. When God's like, no, don't do that. Don't date that person. Don't take that job. Don't buy that toy. Don't sleep with that person. Don't, don't give in to that. Don't go down here. It feels like, oh, that's just God just being all like mean. He's all, he's just all taking away my fun. It might be he's trying to protect you. So he's not giving you permission. He's not condoning it because he knows it's not going to end up being the best thing for you. I hope somebody's like hearting this or liking this or typing something out. So the other people watching are like, yes, that is true. That was true in my life. I wish somebody had told me back then. So I, I, I close with this. In all of this, why our faith is so fickle and so strained, um, we, we're offended by what Jesus does, we're offended by what he doesn't do, we're offended by what he says, we're offended by what he doesn't say. But there's a couple things that we forget. As much as we're offended by what he says and doesn't say, we forget, we forget what he doesn't say. We forget the fact that he doesn't tell us. He, he never says, you're too far gone. He never in all the things that we don't like about Jesus, we, we, we never find Jesus going, nah, you're pretty broken. I don't like it. I can't handle it. I can't fix you. 
you burn too many bridges. You're too, too dirty. I can't handle it. He never has that. He never says that. We forget that. We got all the things we want him to say and we're mad that he doesn't say, but we forget that he's never once told us, you're too much, I can't handle you. I, you're too gross, you're too dirty. You disgust me and I can't, I can't handle you. I can't clean you. He never says that. You know what he does say though? In the middle of all that, that Jesus does for us, he, he says, I'm here to redeem you. I'm here to save you. I'm here to fix you. I'm here to restore you. These are the things that Jesus says, and we forget that he says all of those things to us. See, sometimes we get down, we get discouraged because we're broken, we get discouraged because we failed time and time again, we can't get past a, a temptation that we keep giving into, we can't, we can't find victory over a sin that we struggle with, we can't let go of a hate or a, a hurt that has happened to us, and we forget that Jesus says, no, nah, I'm, I'm bigger than all that. See, in John 10.10, 10, he tells us that, that Satan wants to steal our life. He wants to ruin our life. The thief, Satan, wants to destroy us. He wants to kill and, and steal from us. He wants to leave us empty. And then Jesus contrasts that with who he is. Jesus says, I've come to do the exact opposite of what Satan's trying to do in your life. I've come to give you a life, a rich and satisfying life, a life to the fullest. See, we forget all of that. We forget the things that he says and doesn't say when we're getting all offended about the things that we remember him saying or not saying. We also forget what he doesn't do. When we talked about being offended about what he does do and doesn't do, we forget about some of the things he doesn't do. He doesn't leave us broken. He doesn't leave us crushed. He doesn't come and demand from us and take from us till we're empty. He could have showed up on earth and made everybody on the planet worship him, but instead he's born in a manger. And the king of kings, the creator of the universe, the son of God, walks amongst us wrapped in flesh, and he doesn't do it as the all-star of the planet, he does it as a humble carpenter. He's born in a manger, and then he serves, and he loves, and he gives, and he works hard, tireless, tirelessly, long hours just serving and healing and loving people. See, we forget that. He doesn't, he doesn't come and crush us. He doesn't come and take from us. He comes and gives, and we forget that. And most importantly, in forgetting all the things that he says and doesn't say, doesn't do, we also forget what he did do. See, we get, we get offended about some of the things he did do, like shining a light on sin, but we forget about some of the things he did do, which was die for us. You see, in the middle of him flipping the tables, the next verse says, the blind and the lame came to him, in verse 14. They came to him and he healed them. So yeah, he was exposing a light on the sin, but at the same time, he was healing people. And see, that's how healing works. Jesus shines a light in your life to expose the darkness, and then he heals that darkness if you're willing to let go of it. He shines a light, he exposes what's broken in you, not to cause you shame, not to make you embarrassed, not to make you angry, but to make you aware that he knows about it and he still loves you in spite of it, and he can fix it. Because the thing that we forget about the most, and that's why we celebrate Palm Sunday and especially Easter, is that he came to die. 
He wasn't surprised that they crucified him. He knew that was the plan all along. He could have stopped at any time he wanted, but he died because he knew we needed a debt paid. He knew that you needed your sin forgiven, so he died for you. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, He was pierced for our transgressions, our mistakes. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. The things we've done wrong was why Jesus went through that. The punishment that brought us peace, that was on Jesus. It's by his wounds that we're healed. So every time they whipped him, it wasn't because he couldn't stop them. It was because we deserved it and he took it for us. Everything that happened to Jesus, people spitting on him, people beating him, people whipping him, people hating him, mocking him, the shame, the pain, all of that was done because you and I owed that debt for all the gross things that we've done and he didn't want us to pay for it. In the middle of all the reasons that we don't like Jesus, in the middle of all the reasons that we get offended by him and turn our back on him, and we're so fickle in our faith, one day we love Jesus and the next day we can't even be bothered to pray. In the middle of all that, he still loves us. And often we forget that he died for us. I'm asking you this Palm Sunday just to think about that. Think about a God who loved you so much that he did all of these things and he puts up with all of your back and forth, flip floppy love for him, your anger towards him, your disappointment in him. He has never done anything wrong. He's just loved you and done everything he can to give you the best life. And all you and I do is often get upset and turn our backs on him. And yet at this moment right now, as you listen to this, he wants to do more for you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to save you. He wants to see you have God's best in your life. It's your choice. Some people turned and said, yeah, crucify him. I want, I want what I want. And then other people said, no, this is a guy I'm going to follow. And many of them did. And the reason we're talking about it today is because the people that decided to follow after him, he made their lives immeasurably better. They were happy to serve and even lay down their life when they understood what it was that he did for them. My prayer is that maybe you understand that a little bit more today. Maybe you appreciate it a little bit more, or maybe you come to accept it for the very first time. Will you let me pray over you? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for who you are and what you've given us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being willing to die for us. God, thank you that although we are fickle and although we go back and forth in our faith and although we struggle to trust you, that you love us enough to keep um, to, to keep pushing for us and keep pulling towards us. And God, I know there's somebody that's listening to this right now that has been running away from you. God, I pray that in this moment right now as they listen, that they would be drawn to what it is that you want for them, a forgiveness for their sin. You want a relationship with them. You want them to be close to you. God, I pray that they would accept you as their Lord and Savior, that they would accept you as, as the one who, who needs to be followed. They would get out of the driver's seat and let you call some shots in their life. God, I pray for every person on the sound of my voice that we would, we would remember how much you've done for us the next time that we're frustrated or discouraged, the next time we're angry or disappointed, we would recognize that that's our flesh and that you deserve nothing but our praise, our love, our faithfulness, our service. God, the, the least we can do is to love and follow you. 
Forgive us for the times we forget of that. Forget about that. God, would you use this Palm Sunday and this week as we build up to Easter, would you use this to encourage us, to make us bold in our faith, to tell more people to be excited about what you've done, that maybe some of our family members or some of our friends or some of our coworkers or just people where we, our associates, God, that they might see the love of Jesus shine through us, that we might be able to bring hope to somebody who's struggling. God, let us make you famous. And would you use us in our stories in that way? Would you remind us uh, this whole week as we think about how quickly we turn our backs on, uh, on you, but you've never turned your back on us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray all of this. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.